welcome to TA1. Everything you want to know about adventure racing and then some. I'll be your host, legendary Randy Erickson. Totally solo tonight. Birds are quiet in their cages or on their cages. And the chili dog is not home yet. So um, we better not make this one uh, very long because we have an episode you're going to enjoy. One of my favorites, even though it's uh, hard to get anything out of him, Brett Freeland. You all know him, you love him, and you read what he writes because it's always really good. So uh, that's about it. Oh, I should say thank you to everybody that uh, kicked in a few bucks so I can go to uh, Expedition Oregon next week. should be uh, interesting from my point of view because I have no idea what I'm going to do. Uh, part of the media team or we'll find out when I get there so um, you'll be able to watch live tracking and AR live and I'll be posting and you know the deal so thank you everybody I promise not to do it again at least for a couple years but if somebody else wants to send me to some place I'm cool with that so um, hell let's do it Go fast, take chances, thanks for listening, and uh, it's nice here. Enjoy the weather. Bye. Hey, Randy. Hey, Brent. How are you? I'm pretty well. How are you? Um, good, except it might snow tonight. Oh, I'm hearing that, yeah, it might get kind of snowy out <laughs> west again. Yeah. <clears throat> Apparently, we are right on the uh, western edge, so. Um, how much are you uh, looking at getting? Well, they're talking quite a bit out on the prairie, um, maybe a few inches here, which would be fine because I got to go. As soon as we get done here, I got to go out and plant some uh, wild grass seed. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so we had a bunch of, um, well, they came and thinned around our property, and then they burned all the slash piles. So we got all these burn spots. And I'm like, got it. Yeah. Like I should just throw some seed down and get a good start on it. So, but yeah, I have a headlamp. I can do that after dark if I need to. Right. <laughs> so, um, uh, is it warm out there. Otherwise, yeah, actually, it was like sixty today, and it'll probably be sixty by the weekend. So, okay, I can I can live with snow in April. Right. Yeah. So, um. Here's a weird question, and you probably don't because you live in the city, but do you ever find yourself wandering the house with a headlamp on? <laughs> yeah, I, I have to admit that I I, I definitely do. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and it's often, I think, after Zoe's gone to bed and Abby's gone to bed and I'm creeping around looking for something, and yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that sounds terribly creepy, but I admit that I do it. Yeah. Well, you know, we, we're, we you know, in the middle of the woods, so there's no no lights out here. So I take chili out, and then you walk in. Or or sometimes it's just when you get old, you like to have a little extra light. Sure. To, yeah. To see stuff, so. Yeah. <laughs> so, so this is the part where all I have to do is say, one, two, three, go, and tell me about I the know. race. <laughs> Well, I think I'm up to like 15 pages on my race report, single spaced. So I could just read that to you, but um, yeah. <laughs> is it is it easy for you to write those? Are you? I mean, uh, yeah. Maybe we've talked about this, but 
because you're a very good writer. Well, thank you. I, I mean, I think that um, I enjoy writing. Um, my obviously, we, we joke about it all the time. Yeah. Um, my um, my limitation, if you will, is that I tend to be probably too verbose and go on a bit. And you know, my professors like to point that out to me in graduate school, especially <laughs> that I could uh, work on being a bit more kind of concise and to the point. But I just kind of like reflecting and, you know, ruminating on things and, you know, one thing leads to another and, uh, you know, and I have written 15 pages and I still have two stages of the race to write about. So <laughs> I love it. Well, I, and I think maybe I've said this before, but I'm the kind of person that likes a thousand page biography. So, yeah, well, I'm glad that one person out there really does enjoy reading at least part of it. At least you say you read them, which makes me very happy, even if you skim them. <laughs> no, I read them because I, uh, I I love detail. To me, that's what makes it. So. Yeah, and I mean, obviously, there's a lot of different kind of race reports, and I, I don't at all like mean to say that you know the way I write a race report is any better or more valuable or anything than anyone else. Um, you know, I think I try to avoid the uh, you know literally checkpoint by checkpoint blow and really kind of focus more on kind of the experience of the journey through the race and you know the some of the team dynamics and and those things rather than uh, just where we found every checkpoint. But, um, yeah, but your question about does it come easy, it, it does. I mean, I think as a history teacher, storytelling is, um, you know, kind of the primary focus of my job. So it, it translates well to, I think, race reports. Yeah. And I don't know if you've noticed this because I've noticed you don't spend a lot of time on the interwebs <laughs> <laughs> for for some things. But um, I'm finding <laughs> articles – Online are, are tending to be a little longer, and I'm wondering if the pendulum is swinging back a little bit to people wanting to know a little bit more detail, and, and we'll spend the time. So. Yeah, or or that's just I think um, a really good sign that you are um, you know a well-educated reader because I think that a lot of those pieces are out there. They just tend to be published by kind of more legitimate news sources that unfortunately a lot of people are either glossing over or forgetting about altogether these days. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I just literally finished reading an article that Abby sent me from the Atlantic and, you know, yeah, it's, uh, you know, if you printed it out, it's probably a seven or eight page article and mm -hmm. it's you know, fantastic and interesting and, and it's there. Uh, but you just don't see those as many as, as much anymore. So, mm -hmm. I also, I, I have to say, because if I don't say it, you know, Abby, whenever she listens to this, is going to be screaming at the, the computer to make the point that I spend a lot more time on the interwebs than people think I do. It's just that I do it under cover of a certain <laughs> someone's social media platforms. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I, you know, like even though I don't have social media and I don't have a cell phone and things like that, um, you know, I work with a computer open constantly in my job and I can't escape it and I want to escape it more than I can, which, uh, you know, brings me back to adventure racing. Like it's one of my favorite parts about the sport is the fact that we can kind of just unplug from, uh, this kind of technologically driven world that we're increasingly bound to, um, but even adventure racing, I mean, we talk about this, you talk about this all the time on your podcast, right? Like so much of adventure racing um, is happening now through social media, uh, 
you know, and almost social media exclusively at this point that you kind of have to be plugged in, I think. Yeah, I, I, I think I have to be. I mean, I've been trying to talk to one of the guys that won the Iditarod Invitational. And, oh, cool. And it's like I have a phone number. <laughs> so, cool. But, yeah, so. Yeah. And, and it is. I mean, I to me, it's like, you know, this is how I reach out to people and people reach out to me and things things happen for me and teams teams form and stuff so um. yeah no i mean your your fingerprints are all over the social media platforms obviously with like teammate finder and mm. and such so like obviously like yeah you appreciate that and super cool that you're trying to get in touch with the iditarod folks um i think you probably i think you do know from being online that you probably caught my fascination with the event yep um, yeah. And I would just like, you know, one little plug on that, you know, several years ago, I was doing a wilderness first responder course up in uh, New Hampshire. And one of my roommates in the dorm was, uh, he was actually a state politician from, uh, I want to say Minnesota. I just want to make sure it wasn't Wisconsin. <laughs> um, pretty sure it was Minnesota. Where, where's Al Franken from? Minnesota. Minnesota. It was yeah. definitely Minnesota because I heard about dinner parties with Al Franken. Okay. But um, he also was a competitive musher uh, locally there. And we got to talking basically mushing and adventure racing. And it was just amazing um, the similarities mm -hmm. between the two sports. Uh, obviously, one sports team is mostly dogs, but – uh, otherwise, really, it's like it felt like we were talking the same language, and it, it was pretty remarkable. So, I hope you get someone on. I know that you're. Yeah, I'm. The I did rod invitational is a little bit different, not the dog, but yeah. maybe you could get someone with the dog. Well, wow, that would be great. Well, I'll. I'll for you. I'll look into it. But all it, right, great. It's great. interesting how you talk about that's a team because as as weird as it is, that's what I found with uh, the Baja, the trophy trucks. The, yeah. the similarities are just like, you know, it's a team and things relax when it starts. And yeah, so it's pretty, it's weird how many of these crossover things there are and probably even more if it really, you know, you start to get into it. So, right. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So how did you come to go to India for spring break? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, speaking of teams. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I have to probably give the original, original credit uh, to Abby. Um, she, well, Abby and Eric Caravella. And, um, you know, as you might remember, Eric joined us for Tasmania this mm -hmm. time last year. And um, so Abby sent me a text one day uh, back in the kind of, I guess, mid-fall saying, Eric just... Uh, posted something or commented on something uh, about Expedition India. And, um, you know, it kind of caught my attention. And, you know, the little bit of additional information, some of your listeners uh, probably are aware of this, but, uh, yeah, Abby and I are having our second child this summer. So, of course, one uh, bit of discussion that kind of occasionally came up last fall was, am I going to do a big race this year? Uh, obviously, Abby uh, probably was not going to do a big one, though. I'm trying to get her to entertain the idea of maybe going to Sri Lanka for work, work a while. Um, not with me, just yeah. herself with somebody else. But um, 
you know, so there was kind of conversation about would I be able to do something, and the summer was obviously out, which as a teacher means March break is the only time, as we've discussed in the past. Mm-hmm. So anyway, she sent me this, you know, post that Eric had commented on, and of course I jumped on that immediately and <laughs> uh, reached out to Eric and started kind of pushing him, and uh, I think he was both entertained and a little annoyed that I was trying to set something up already, and uh, for a little while it looked like we were going to basically do a uh, a Tasmania reunion team swapping out uh, my wife for Ryan's wife, Jen. Yep. Um, but then Eric ultimately couldn't do the race for various reasons. And we kind of filled in with Mark Latanzi, but I mean, that was kind of how it all started. Um, you know, the basic answer is it was the only schedule that, or sorry, the only race that fit my schedule. But, um, I think that really does it disservice because it didn't take me very long to realize that, going to India and going to the kind of the Western Himalayas would be a pretty amazingly unique experience. And uh, I think anyone that knows anything about the folks from kinetic events down in South Africa, who also direct the race in India know that they have a pretty remarkable reputation. Um, So I knew I was going to get a really great race, uh, both in terms of the organization and then also the location and, you know, beyond that, once you kind of step back and think about where you're racing, uh, I really don't know that there's going to be any race um, this year and really in most years that's as unique as India in terms of the location and the culture and the environment. Um, I think Sri Lanka will be a, a pretty pretty great race, too, uh, and probably pretty similar. Uh, but the normal AR WS circuit, no offense to any of those races, and I would love to do so many of them, but, you know, they're they're much kind of like cleaner, wilderness-based things, which obviously are spectacular and beautiful, but the cultural piece of India is really, truly something different. So, why? My favorite question, why? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I said this to the race directors after the event, and, uh, you know, I said it in a couple of videos that I think went viral, or not viral, but, like, popped up on Facebook from the race directors. But um, um, you hear some of the old-time adventure racers talk about these amazing kind of cultural experiences they had um, back in the grand old days of Eco Challenge and Ray Galois, however you pronounce it. Um, you know, and I think still today you occasionally hear people talk about that. But, you know, I've done, this was my 12th expedition race, uh, and I certainly, like, have followed countless races at this point. And um, I've personally never experienced that. Um, that kind of cultural piece, you know, mm-hmm. getting to interact with locals. Like, sure, you know, in Scotland, Ireland, Costa Rica, of course, like, we we talk to locals and we pass through some local towns and villages and, and such. But I never felt uh, any kind of real tangible connection or... Uh, experience. It really felt like you're riding your bike down the street, just kind of watching. You might as well be watching a television screen or a mm-hmm. video or something. Yeah. yeah. So, um, you, so it's kind of like you're just going through the culture. Right. Yeah. You're like an observer. Okay. Whereas in India, you are, you, you can't help but be immersed in what's going on around you. 
Um, you just like there were there were two moments in the, really the entire race, maybe three, where you kind of felt like, oh, I'm I'm actually away from people, like I'm in more of a genuine wilderness setting. And and two of those moments were on the treks, and even those, one of them, you were trekking, you know, very much. Well, really, both of them. You were still trekking kind of around some very, very small villages or, you know, herding communities or things like that. Um, the the third case was uh, the second whitewater raft. We were in a pretty rugged, remote canyon where, relatively speaking, there wasn't a lot of activity. But, you know, there's roads way up high on the mountainside and things like that. So you really never were away from people for that long. But for the rest of the race, you are just – you're constantly negotiating kind of Indian society, uh, whether that's like trekking through um, remote villages where, you know, literally the stereotype of people never having seen like white people before, I'm pretty sure that that stereotype was real in those in those villages. Uh, you know, you're trekking past people, most of whom are, are really fascinated uh, with the fact that you're kind of marching through their backyard. Uh, but, but some of them, like you'd look at the look on their faces and I, I swear, like there were, there were looks of fear on, on people's faces as they saw us coming. Um, you know, we encountered a funeral march at one point on day one, we were finishing up a bike section and, uh, we were kind of biking up a trail. We were, we'd been biking along a river and we kind of turned onto a trail that took us away from the river and had to pull off the side because a, a big group of men were carrying a pyre down to the river. Um, you know, as I'm sure some people know, you know, a lot of, a lot of Indian culture revolves around rivers, um, you know, and kind of like circle of life type, type stuff. Um, so I know that, I don't know the details of it, but I, I know it's not an uncommon sight to see, funerals at the edge of rivers where bodies are, are burned and the remnants then, you know, uh, distributed in the water. So, you know, we saw that four hours into the race and then we got in a whitewater raft and we're rafting through big towns. Uh, and a couple hours later, we, you know, passed by a funeral pyre burning on the shoreline as we're rafting by. And it's just, you know, it was constant, things like that not usually quite so grand but um you just couldn't get away from it you're constantly dealing with it and the people wanting to help and see what's going on and it was amazing like really a really amazing experience you know you navigate through these villages and you don't have a map all you have is a one to fifty thousand scale map and it's got names of villages and virtually no connecting features and the best way to, to kind of make progress is to trust the, you know, one of the like literally, you know, thousands upon thousands of footpaths that link all these villages together. And you try to communicate with hand gestures and do the best you can to pronounce village names and ask the locals to confirm whether you're going on the right trail or not. And you make your way through villages for five, six hours at a time. It was, it was just really special. That's, that actually sounds kind of cool. Is that, Sort. Did you expect that, or what was what was your expectations going in, or did you think, well, we're going to be up in the mountains and you know by ourselves? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, 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 
I've traveled a lot, and I, I know a lot of people that have traveled a lot. I'd never been to India before, um, but you know, I, I've certainly heard quite a bit about India as being kind of one of the granddaddies of travel experiences, both in terms of just how amazingly rich the culture is um, and also how challenging it is traveling there because of just like, you know, the sheer mass of humanity and the, you know, the problems that come with 1.3 billion people living together. Um, you know, so I, I kind of expected the experience to be more intense, but yeah, I also expected that, you know, we fly into Delhi and have to navigate Delhi for a little bit at the beginning and a little bit at the end. But I kind of had a vision of the Himalayas as being uh, a fair bit quieter and cleaner um, and, yeah, more remote and a fair bit of wilderness. Um, and it was not really like that. Uh <laughs> It's, it's not that you can't find that, but, um, you know, it's obviously a much smaller scale. You don't necessarily have millions of people uh, in a given valley, but you still have these towns that are just, you know, just masses of people packed into a small area and terrible sanitation and um, a lot of poverty Um and yeah, like the, the wilderness experience, there was very little of it. You know, most, pretty much all the biking was, um, either in towns or kind of connecting towns or at least through kind of small villages. Some of them were pretty sleepy and quiet. Um, but you really were never away from people. Um, the first raft was through these big towns. The water was, you, you really had to kind of, do the best you could to turn off your brain a little bit um, or <laughs> yeah. else you could, you could really, and I think some people did like really struggle mentally at times with the uh, kind of stopping and realizing what we were actually physically racing in, in terms of the water and what you're stepping in and what your hands are in. And then you're eating with those hands and there's absolutely no way to stay clean. Um, you know, so that was really intense. You know, the first rafting experience, especially the second one was a fair bit, um, kind of cleaner, but, um, and you know, even a lot of the trekking, like I said, you know, you're, you're, you're passing through a lot of villages and, and such and towns like on the second trek, we were trekking through a trash dump because there are no trash facilities. They just find odd places to dump their trash. And, our route happened to take us through one and we just didn't feel like going back. So yeah. through we went, you know? So yeah, I was expecting a little bit more wilderness, uh, in the mountains. Um, I didn't expect it to be like untamed new England, but, uh, probably a little more than we got, but what we did get was spectacular. And even though much of the rest was kind of contending with, the humanity, uh, good and bad of, um, of India, it was just such an amazingly rich experience that it more than, I wouldn't even say it made up for it again. It was just, it was what made it unique. Yeah. And I don't, I don't know that I'll ever do a race like that again. Uh, but I would sign up for that race again in a heartbeat <clears throat> over pretty much anything else if I could. Yeah. High praise. Um, so when you get there, and you kind of put yourself in the hands of the organizers. Can you yourself, do you just let everything go? And it's just like, whatever happens, happens, you know, it, 
the, the bus ride turns out to be whatever, 20 hours or whatever. <laughs> and the land's like, do you just, you know, it's not, it's not my job. I don't have to worry about it. I'm just going to sit here and. Yeah. Is yeah. that, is that easy to do or do you, um, you kind of want to like, uh... it was, it was easy for me to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, my general sense, I mean, m- there were most people that were, were racing in this event were not, you know, native English speakers. So, um, you know, there wasn't quite as much socializing as there is at some, there was plenty of it, but like, you know, I've definitely done other races where there's a lot more people to more easily communicate with. Yeah. So, I don't know, but I, I, you know, I got the sense that most people kind of knew what they were getting into. Um, you know, I think Heidi and Stefan did a, a pretty good job prepping everybody that, you know, we need to be prepared to just kind of roll with whatever comes yeah. and that you can't really expect anything to really work as it's supposed to. Um, you know, and I think that I was actually knowing that going in and having traveled in some places like that before where that that's the norm, I was actually blown away with how smooth everything relatively speaking was. Um, like yes, the opening bus ride, I swear four or five months ago, that opening bus ride was billed as a 12 hour ride. And <laughs> then it was 14 hours. And then I think somewhere on the day where we actually were traveling, it was 16 hours. And, uh, you know, I, I clocked it and it, it was 20 full hours from when we left the hotel at the Delhi airport to, um, to when we actually got to the host hotel at the start line. Um, you know, so that obviously demanded some patience, uh, and was pretty, pretty tiring and exhausting, but, you know, it was also like in some ways the fastest 20 hour bus ride I've ever done. And that there was just, there was so much to kind of look at while you're driving, um, constantly that it, it was really just kind of fascinating and interesting. But once we got there, honestly, uh, we kept kind of waiting for big glitches and, uh, there really wasn't anything. Things, things went smoothly. The start was delayed obviously by a couple of hours, but, uh, you know, when you're dealing with landslides and you know, ice slicks and things like that, it, it's not that surprising. And how many races have been delayed by an hour or two? It's not that big of a deal. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then, yeah, once the race got going, I mean, I think some other teams were affected a little more than we were, but other than uh, a morning where we had to wait a couple of hours for some rafts to arrive and one of our bags didn't come, everything else was perfectly smooth. Um, uh, I know it wasn't smooth for the race directors. I know that there was a lot going on that they had to manage um, to the point where I'm not really sure that we'll see this race happening again, unless they can find a a different way to probably staff it. Um, their staff from South Africa were phenomenal, but you know the I think when it came to relying on locals to deliver bags and rafts and things like that on time, I think that's where things kind of broke down for them. Yeah. So was that? I mean, there was a lot of speculations about the rafts. Was it just they they just got there when they got there? The, yeah, the, pretty much. Yeah. I mean, the the first rafting leg wasn't a problem, but that second rafting leg, I you know, I still don't know all the details, but. I think they had two rafts there um, in time for the two leaders, basically. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, so NatureX got out, was the only team to get out on the day that they got out. And then there was one left, uh, one raft left over that Agda Raid used first thing the next morning. 
and there's a little bit of controversy over them being allowed to go when everyone else was held. But then, you know, there were another 10 teams or so of us waiting for rafts uh, that, for whatever reason, just didn't get there on time. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I got the impression that, you know, the fault was kind of with the companies and that they didn't really understand, you know, things actually had to be in certain places at certain times that, you know, it's a race. It's not just like, a, you know, a fun journey or something. Yeah. Um, but for all I know, like seriously, like landslides happen every day. And when the roads are only like one and a quarter lane wide to start with, things slow down. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I don't, I mean, I've heard, I don't know how many times, a handful anyway, you know, of uh, rafting sections and with guides and, and they get in the boat and the guides are like, oh, you guys are like racing. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, you know, it's just, yeah, they're like, oh, yeah, we'll get them. It doesn't matter if you're a couple hours late. What do they care? Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that first leg, especially the rafting guides were, um, they were something different, you know, I, I don't want to badmouth them. Like it kind of was what it was. And, you know, as we were kind of literally floating down the river in circles, hitting every rock that we could possibly hit, you know, you have a tendency to get a little frustrated kind of back to one of your earlier questions, right? Like part of you wants to be frustrated and especially cause we'd had a pretty bad start. So of course we're like eager to pick it up and try to get back in contact with the rest of the field basically. Um, you know, and at the same time, you know, I think we all looked at each other and we're like, you know what, the odds are really good. Pretty much all other boats are having the same problems. So yeah. what can you do? Like the guy doesn't really know what he's doing. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that's, that's a, yeah, that makes you confident and you're, yeah. yeah. And you're in a river that you really don't want to swim in. Really, yeah, you really did not want to swim in that first river. You you absolutely did not, and we came so close several times. I mean, the first rapid we hit, and it was not a particularly big rapid. It was maybe a class three. Uh, he launched out of the boat, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and then towards the end, I mean, we seriously, we, we were in a pretty sketchy rapid, and he did what he liked to do probably every other major rapid, which was ram the boat as hard as he could into a boulder. Um, and when he did so, he did a Superman into the raft, except he literally pile-drived his head and neck into one of the cross pontoons. And we seriously all looked at each other like we just we lost our guy. He's broken his neck. Uh, and I still don't really know how he got up from that looking at what happened. But... Um, yeah, it was just – it was one of those journeys for sure. Yeah. Um, he was remarkably good though. Like we would get stuck on boulders and you'd be sitting on top of these boulders looking down all around you feeling like any way we come off these things, we're flipping. And he was remarkably good at fixing those problems when we got into them. Uh, we just got into them way too often. <laughs> well, yeah, he's had a lot of experience of getting out of trouble. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so. But um, so what was the festival that you at the start? Was that at, at the start or was that in Delhi? Yeah, that was at the start. That was at the kind of the host hotel, which was not literally the start line, but yeah, within an hour, hour and a half or so, two hours of it. But um, yeah, so the Holy Festival, um, and I honestly, I looked it up at one point. I, I don't remember the fine details of kind of the background to it, but it's, you know, uh, a festival of colors. 
and um, we got a a wonderful but also kind of watered down version of it. Um, I think originally the hope was that we would be able to join the the locals. So what the locals do is uh, they all go out into the streets and they basically have the world's biggest water and powder fight that you've ever heard of. They, they basically, the color comes from these, these powders that they have um, and they have packets of powder and, you know, so they go out and they throw powder at people and they wipe powder all over people. But then they also like fill water balloons and water guns and other receptacles of water that are dyed with the powder and they'll, you know, splash you and your clothes and everything else possible with this this colored water and these colored powders. So I think it's just like a giant kind of color rave party. Um, and then I think they go off and they celebrate in the evening. And those that imbibe, apparently there's some kind of like cannabis-laced drink that everyone's drinking. And sounds like a, a great time. And we... We definitely did not experience that. Um, <laughs> it turned out that um, Manali, the host town, even though we got there on Holi when they would have been celebrating in Delhi, turns out that Manali celebrated the day before. So we, yeah. we missed – we were on the bus yeah. enjoying 20 hours of bus riding instead, yeah. of, instead of that. Um, but so the race organizers, and, and this is what – you know they just go out of their way – to make your experience before and after the race as easy and kind of carefree and enjoyable as possible. Um, so they just had kind of organized uh, a little mini holy festival that we just kind of did with the guidance of a few locals who kind of led the way. Actually, I think they were the, the local teams kind of gave us a overview on what we were doing and, and then we all hit each other with powder and had a grand time. So, <laughs> so, um, <clears throat> Who who is your favorite person to throw powder at? <laughs> well, I mean, Mark and I go back long enough that anytime I can smear colorful powder all over Mark's face and body, it's it's a good day for me. Yeah, <laughs> so that sounds yeah. kind of cool. Um, so that was good, but of course, everybody loved. Like, I I noticed that I think my the fact that I'm short, so everybody's looking down on me and they can see a big bald spot on top of my head. I just kept feeling hands like rubbing over the top of my head. Yeah. Had no idea who who was uh, massaging my head with powder, but I think the top was pretty colorful. Yeah, that sounds. Where's the pictures of that? Top yeah, of your head, yeah, yeah. I know. Yeah, I don't know that there are any, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, what what kind of elevation were you at? Yeah, so we um we topped out uh, at about three thousand meters. Um, I think a little bit less. So, you know, we were somewhere around 10,000, a little bit over 10,000 feet. Um, you know, and I don't really know what the lowest point was, but um, I want to say maybe like six, 700 meters. So, I mean, there was definitely the biggest climb was on the, I think, was on the second spreck. And I think it was like a 2,000 plus meter, maybe like a 2,200 meter climb virtually. Um, and a rugged one too. Yeah. Yeah. But I think, uh, you know, a lot of the race was, I think up around, you know, 2000 meters or above yeah. something like that. Yeah. So not, not miserable high. How, I mean, how did you, uh, sea, sea levelers, you guys are like almost all sea level people. Yeah. How did, yeah. how did it go for you? Well, 
So I had a bit of a, a backstory to this one. So it, it didn't go well for me. Um, and uh, so basically, you know, back uh, we had nationals back in September, and um, I got uh, I got sick before nationals. wasn't feeling great at nationals. Um, just like a you know a bad cold or something, and you know as it always does during the race, it moved into my chest. That's not so unusual. Um, and I started coughing, and then I, I literally, I'm not exaggerating at all, I, I literally did not stop coughing um, until January. Um, and so, you know, obviously I ended up kind of talking to some doctors, and it wasn't that I was sick the whole time, I just uh, I just didn't stop coughing. Mm-hmm. And it would constantly mutate and change and do funky things and was kind of worrisome. So I ended up at a, an asthma and allergist doctor. And, um, you know, the, he looked into things and said, yeah, you have the lungs of a 60-year-old man. You have asthma. You have a pretty good case of it. And I think you've had it for quite some time. And your oxygen levels, like I said, 60-year-old man. And I think he meant uh, an unfit 60-year-old man. <laughs> actually qualify that um yeah so (laughs) and um you know he's basically like if you weren't so active and used to kind of basically suffering because he had a pretty good sense of what i what i do because actually he's uh he's a abby's asthma doctor she's an asthma an asthmatic and uh so he knows what we do so he's like if you weren't used to that you'd be on a couch like you wouldn't really be able to do much with the o2 levels that you have um so, you know, this was kind of mid-January, maybe late January that I got that diagnosis. So not great timing um, when you're looking at going to do a six-day expedition race of any kind, but especially one with elevation. And the actually – the elevation was bad, but the pollution was a major problem for me as well. Um, so I treated it. And, you know, the coughing cleared up, and I was actually pretty happy about it and kind of excited in an odd way about the diagnosis because I was kind of like, well, if I've been racing for this long at a relatively successful level with asthma and and stuff, well, what am I going to feel like when I'm all treated? Um, but then uh, about two weeks before the I left, I started – well, I thought at least that I was having some bad reactions to the daily inhaler he put me on. And I was feeling really dizzy and lethargic and kind of unable to concentrate well. All kinds of things that you don't want to be feeling in an expedition race, especially when you're navigating. So I didn't have time to figure it out, so I, I had to kind of stop taking the medication. Um, so it made the race a lot harder. Yeah. <laughs> made it a lot harder for me. You know, I think that um, I was fine, you know, at lower elevations, I was okay. And anytime it was flats or downs, I felt like myself, but you know, the climbing, especially at elevation or anytime we were in towns with the pollution, I, I really suffered and had to rely on my teammates a lot more than I'm used to ever relying on anybody in event racing. I'm, I'm often somebody that, you know, will take weight from people, but um, this time I had to kind of, you know, if not give up my whole pack, pretty much give up everything but my water and food um, on the climb. So, yeah, it it was um, it was a chore for sure. Yeah. What does that um, do to you mentally to, to be, yeah, normally the strong one and all of a sudden yeah. not? 
Yeah, it was it was super hard. I mean, like I I you know, the first couple days in particular were really pretty tough for me. I mean, the first bike wasn't too bad, but the the first bike the issue was really the pollution. Mm-hmm. And um actually we had a pretty big mechanical that cost us probably at least an hour or so, and then we actually had to move a fair bit slower for a while after that mechanical and that's where we really fell behind the uh the international field especially. And uh, in a way, it, it probably saved me a little bit because uh, when we had to slow down for the mechanical, I was kind of able to focus on my breathing, um, which I think got me through that first bike. But the first trip, I mean, once we started doing our real climbing and I realized that I, I couldn't even carry my pack, and even without a pack, I was really sluggish and struggling to get up these these steep, big mountain climbs. Um, yeah, it took a huge toll. And then um, the thing that kind of in a way was even bigger was I, I really had to basically kind of focus on rhythm breathing pretty much any time we were doing anything at an elevated pace. Mm. Um, so, you know, really focusing on like three short breaths and a deep breath and three short breaths and a deep breath. And I mean, I just did that for hours and hours and hours. Um, and it was exhausting. Uh, I remember when we rolled into um, – Basically, the TA after the first big trek, it was technically two TAs because they they canceled uh, a raft, so we had to extend the first trek. And, uh, you know, like, not only was I feeling like crap, but on the the final trek in, we're trekking in with Rob Howard from Sleep Monsters, and, you know, the rest of the team's pretty chipper, and I'm falling behind, and I don't really have any, I I don't think I even have my pack at that point, and this was relatively flat, and I'm coughing so badly that I start throwing up and it's just, you know, like, yeah, I don't know. I, the team was either really kind of kind and, uh, you know, let me have my moments or they really were oblivious to the whole thing, but we got into the TA and the next thing you knew, I had a camera in my face and, uh, I'm just like melted. Right. And I've like never done that before in a race. <laughs> yeah. uh, I mean, I've had a couple of moments at like ends of races when I've gotten a little bit emotional. Yeah. Um, just kind of getting swept up and like, okay, it's over. And it's usually when things have gone really well and kind of proud about everything. And, or like there's been a, a pretty big challenge right at the end of the race to overcome. But this was just like a full on, full on meltdown. Um, and they just, they sat there and filmed the whole thing and were asking me questions. And yeah, it was a different experience for me for sure. It yeah. was a tough one. Yeah. And you know, I'm sitting there in that transition and all I can think about is the next thing we have to do is literally get on our bikes and do like a 2000 meter climb. And I'm just like, I don't, I don't know how I'm going to do that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it was tough. Yeah. Um, do you feel um, what's the word? Not better, but um, like it, like you're at another level, having gone through that. A little, you know, a little extra suffering that you don't normally do, but you, you know, you, uh, you did it. Yeah, I'd like to say yes, uh, but I, I haven't really thought of it that way yet. I think probably right the the time to ask that is. Next time I'm feeling like crap for some reason in an expedition race, like you know, if I'm if I'm thinking back and drawing upon that experience, then then maybe it's had that effect. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I think that I've done. I mean, I think I've done enough of these races, and I, I've done races before when I'm sick, and 
you know, uh, kind of pushed through some things in the past before that I'm not sure I feel like I found anything new. I, I was, I was anxious about this race going into it, you know, because of this, I kind of, I knew it was going to be difficult. And I also kind of knew that I would, I would get through it. Yeah. Um, you know, I never was like questioning finishing the race. I did say to Heidi at one point that, you know, again, testament to, to their whole team, you know, they just were, so compassionate. I've never seen, you know, their core volunteers from South Africa, especially, uh, you know, Sharla and this guy, Craig, I don't know how you pronounce his last name, Craig Geese or something, yeah. but, uh, you know, and, and Heidi herself, like they, they just were so in tune with the racers. And, uh, you know, even though Sharla had the video camera in my face, it, it actually was with quite a bit of compassion and, you know, Craig pulled me aside after that and, you know, actually uh, showed me a video Abby and Zoe had recorded and sent in at some earlier point and, like, you know, handed me his phone and sent me to a quiet corner and let me have a moment. And, you know, like, it, it was um, the the care that they show for racers uh, and just the course that they delivered were so good that, like, I was able to – I was never – uh, not enjoying myself, right? I, I've done a lot of races where I felt bad, but not that bad, and really had far less fun than I had in this one. Oh, well, that's cool. I'm, yeah. yeah. So, but just that situation is now going to be your go-to, or you're like, well, it's I don't feel as bad as I did in India. Yeah, it'll be one of them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's there's a couple others that I draw from, um, and and certainly this will will go down as one of them. Yeah. Um, absolutely. And, and, you know, past moments I've, I've had have been more legitimately that moments, whereas this was like a four day moment that just never stops. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, so we've, you know, we talked a lot about the adventure and the journey and everything, but how was it as a race? Like overall and, and, and for the team? Yeah. I mean, so, I mean, I think we've already kind of talked about the course. The course yeah. was absolutely spectacular. Um, you know, really, really a sensational course. The Lots of really impressive legs. The trekking was fantastic. I mean, there was not like jumping off waterfall canyons, but some really giant kind of river canyons or old dry creek canyons or such that you have to kind of, you know, travel through without really much in the way of trails and you know, they, they definitely put you in some really interesting places for sure. So that was all spectacular. Um, you know, good for the, the race in terms of the competition side of it, uh, you know, it was a relatively small field. I think there were 21 or 22 teams that started the race. Um, of those, I want to say maybe six or seven were local teams. And when I say local, I'll also include there was a team from Nepal who I think anyone that followed the race knows was pretty amazing. Yeah. Uh, but I'll kind of include them in the local teams. And then, you know, there was 13 or 14, whatever, um, international teams. And uh, it was an impressive field of teams. Like there were just, you know, no easy outs, as I, as I like to say. Um, you know, I feel like usually you go to an expedition race and you get a whole slew of kind of local in-country teams that might be perfectly good racers and able to do the race, but they're not going to really be particularly competitive. Yeah. Um, you know, with Nature X coming and originally Painted Wolf was supposed to come, and I think they would have been up at the pointy end for sure. But, you know, Nature X, I think, was, uh, I think for most 
people the you know the favorite going in but um you know you had like three or four other you know kind of pretty good teams themselves they might not necessarily beat nature x unless nature x kind of slipped up a little bit but they would be right there uh but and and then after that it was just pretty much everyone else were were all really good experienced relatively fast kind of season teams so you know, I think that for most teams, you probably could have finished anywhere from like fifth to you know fifteenth. Um, so we knew we knew the competition was going to be pretty tough. We weren't you know super focused on that. I don't I don't think we ever even had a discussion about kind of what we wanted to achieve in terms of of that side of the race. Um, we just kind of think all we're just rolling with whatever happened. Um, and, uh, yeah, so we started off really poorly, you know, I think between the asthma and the bike mechanical issue, there was an issue with, uh, we had a minor nav pickup, nothing big, but I think it cost us probably like, you know, 10 or 15 extra minutes. And then there was an issue with uh, the last checkpoint of the first bike where all of the lead teams, when they got there, I believe what happened was that the checkpoint hadn't been set, and somebody was waiting for them to tell them the checkpoint was off, so they just rode on to the TA. Well, uh, my understanding is that somewhere towards the back of the pack, they decided to go put the checkpoint out, which I kind of think is a dubious decision, yeah. personally, um, at that point. But what we gather is they did put the checkpoint out at some point, um, whether that's true or not, no one told us the checkpoint was off. No one was meeting us at the bridge to tell us that. We went in for the checkpoint, and it wasn't there. And we spent, like, 20, 25 minutes looking for the thing. Um, we're pretty sure we found we, – we saw the guys that took it down. You know how it is when you see those, like, snickering locals that are pointing at you and yeah. looking kind of knowingly in the direction of where you're supposed to be. <laughs> So. Uh, you know, so it was just, and then, you know, the rafting fiasco. So it was kind of like a perfect storm for us on the first day. Um, and uh, I think we finished those first two legs. I mean, I know we finished as the last international team. None were in sight. None were in TA. None were, I think, like, I mean, they were all well down the river at that point. Um, I think there were like four or five of the local Indian teams behind us, and two of them rolled into TA right after we did. So it was like, you know, the absolute kind of worst start you could probably have short of losing a teammate or having a, a, an actual injury. Um, and I think, you know, we just kind of, I think, took the whole India mentality of like, whatever, we'll just keep racing and just kind of focus on our own thing. And there's nothing you can do about it. It's going to be that kind of race. So we'll just see what happens. Um you know, and the long story short is by the time we got to the, the last leg of the race, we kind of worked our way up to sixth place. And uh, we were told afterwards that at one point on that final bike in the first part of the bike when things were going well for us on that bike, because they definitely did not at the end, but uh, that we had even kind of closed the gap on fifth. I'm not really sure if that's true, but um, I, it sounds like we were kind of potentially in striking distance of fifth place even, which considering the field and our start and my asthma and the fact we were never able to really like race particularly hard because of that, uh, finishing sixth felt pretty good. Yeah. Or sorry, seventh finishing. I, we were in sixth and we lost a spot. Uh, the Australians are friends from Thunderbolt passed us on the, 
the last part of the bike, uh, unfortunately. So seventh, but even seventh, like before the race, I would have said seventh would be great in, in this field. Be happy with that. So, yeah. Well, yeah, you always think afterwards, like, well, six would have been better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it would have been. And, you know, like it was one of those, that classic, like we left in sixth place. We had a hour plus lead. We knew it. Like we saw them. They were trekking in when we were biking out. We knew exactly where they were and roughly how much time we had. And it's that classic, like, all right, we just, we, we just need to take care of ourselves and not make mistakes and, um, you know, hold on to it and not lose it, um, yeah. ourselves. And then we, we kind of lost it kind of ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, that's, uh, adventure racing in India, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it happens. And I mean, you know, the reality is again, we were, we were playing from behind for most of the race. Um, I mean, going into the second, the last trek, which was the, you know, the, the leg before that bike, I mean, I think we were probably in something like maybe 12th or even 13th place, you know, in terms of like teams leaving the transition, um, maybe 11th or 12th. Cause by that point, Ben was sick and was, was kind of starting to, they were still in the race, but they were taking a big break. So we actually passed them in that transition. But, um, but yeah, we were in the double digits. So, I mean, we passed four or five teams, six teams, on that trek. So we got passed by one at the end, but you know, we passed five or six. So that's just part of racing. Right? It is. Yep. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So I'm going to ask you the hardest question you've ever had to answer. Okay. In adventure racing, in your college career ever. Uh-huh. Yeah. Are you ready? <laughs> I, I'm, I, I, I'm speechless. Yeah. <laughs> no, you're not. Um, so describe, your experience racing in India in one word. <laughs> I'm gonna say magical. Yeah. All right. Okay. Now you can yeah. ex- now you can expand on that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean. <sighs> You know, like the whole, so going back to the organization, right? Like, I mean, Heidi, I mean, anyone that pays attention to Heidi and Stefan, especially Heidi, but like the whole organization online, you know that everything is about like love and hearts, you know? And, and I said to them, I was like, you know, you create this this really unique, powerful presence on social media. And there are plenty of race directors and races that create a presence, not that unique, but like create a presence and then you get to the race and you find that things are either a little bit or a lot different and always in the wrong direction, right? Like mm-hmm. it's, it's not that often that someone's got a distinct presence online and then you get there and find that like, it's even better. Um, and so, you know, they truly do live up to kind of their hype. And so much of that is based in, you know, that the, they're what I would say is almost a cliche because it's all hearts. It's all love. It's everything. It's constant. And to some degree, like from a distance, it's kind of like, all right, what's this all about? Because every picture you see, someone's making a heart with their hands or drawing a heart in the sand or like making a heart out of rocks or, you know, whatever it might be. And then you get there and it is just um, they really 
live and breathe this mantra of kind of like love and community and giving an experience to the racers um, and really immersing people in everything around them and they achieve it. And, you know, they, they have a really amazing gift, I think for um, also uh, drawing the racers into that and kind of, uh, you know, except for maybe the most curmudgeonly, and I'm not sure I saw any of those, but, uh, you know, you can't help but kind of get wrapped up in it when you're there. Uh-huh. Um, and that's like, that's not even the race, right? Like yeah. that's the, the pre-race and the post-race. And then, you know, even in the transitions, that's, that's the feeling. And, um, you know, then the journey itself, like, I mean, I mean, kind of, I won't repeat everything I said, but, you know, just what I've said about kind of the, the nature of racing in India and the people and the villages and the culture, um, it's just constant amazement, right? Like there's, there's always something to look at. There's always something to ponder. Um, I mean, you've got checkpoints in these remote temples that can only be accessed by like a five to six hour hike and the temple sitting on top of a 3000, meter peak and they've never had a white person visit i actually don't know if that's true but a local indian team was up at this temple with us and they kind of relayed to us that the the basically the caretakers who hike up there every single day uh were just like joyous to have foreigners come visit their holy temple um and that's what you're you're kind of like constantly racing through um you know, and you're, you're racing through these villages that are just a n- networks of cobblestone and, you know, giant stone paved walkways and there's no vehicles. And like the houses are these beautiful kind of like fairy tale stone and wood cottages with like hand cuts, late rock roofs covered in moss. You're just like, you feel like you're in a, you know, a brother's grim fairy tale uh, in some of these villages. Um, so really like it just, it, it really did. It just felt like it was just purely magical. The whole experience. Yeah. <clears throat> sounds, it sounds like it. And, uh, it, it sounds like it because you can tell it. Well, I, I mean, I think a lot of probably people that were there would describe it similarly. Yeah. yeah. Special place and yeah. Special race. Yep. Cool. So, um, Big race to the year's over, but are you going to get a chance to do anything else, or are you going to be busy putting on races and having, yeah. a, and having a baby? Yeah, yeah, yeah to both of those. <laughs> um, so, yeah, the I would have loved to have squeezed in. Uh, you know, we kind of talked about, like, maybe squeezing in one race this, this you know, later this spring or summer, but – the reality is, is we've got, uh, we just actually ran our first rootstock racing event this past weekend for 2019. And then we've got, um, our big 24 hour race, uh, in the middle of May. And then we're, we're trying to launch a, basically a three race adventure racing festival in Philadelphia in early June. And not sure how that's going to go, but we've got that. So, you know, it just, between the, the race weekends and the, the, the design weekends, and then I kind of need to get some scouting in for our, our fall race that we're running. I just can't, I personally can't race uh, uh, in the spring or early summer. And then obviously, yeah, the baby's born middle of the summer and, and that'll take care of that. 
Um, we are talking about potentially trying to get up to Wilderness Traverse, which I would be super excited for. Um, that's one that's been on my bucket list for a long time. And if everything goes well with the delivery and everything, um, you know, I think that uh, the, there's a tentative plan for me to potentially race with the team there. Um, and then I will race at Nationals um, in North Carolina in September. So it may be that that's it for me, uh, and it may be that I'll get to do Wilderness as well. Yeah. Well, it's not like your plate's not going to be full. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's, there's a lot going on. But, um, but yeah, at this point, I'm kind of looking at it like uh, Nationals is the big thing. I'm kind of focusing on getting my health straight now. And then I'll kind of refocus on kind of training for nationals um, the teams, you know, obviously looking to go back and ha- at least have a good showing after winning the last two of them. So yeah, that'll be the focal, focal point for the rest of the year. That sounds like a plan. Well, and you can tell Abby that if uh, she goes to Sri Lanka, she can come on and have her own episode too. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah definitely. I'm, I'm sure that's the thing that'll, that'll sway her to go. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, I think that she's really kind of keen on the idea. I think it'll, it's all going to hinge on um, on what her work situation is in the fall. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of kind of moving pieces for that right now. But uh, I think that if things fall a certain way, I think she's keen to do it. And then she's talking to, uh, you know, a, a handful of folks out there that might be interested in doing it as well. So I think that if work allows, I have a feeling that she'll she'll find her way over there. Okay. So, and Craig, yeah. if you're listening to this, hey, you know, remember, put me on the list. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've been kind yeah. of giving him some little nudges that, like, you know, come on. I haven't been to Worlds for two years. I know. It's time. Yeah. Or, like, maybe you can find the, you know, get the U.S. teams to pull together. I mean, I told Abby, like, I, I don't know that it's going to be quite as insane as India. And uh, I heard a rumor that... Craig and Louise maybe have been talking to the Sri Lankan government and maybe even military about having the military run some of those like logistical things that would have made India much smoother for the race directors. Um, So, you know, I think that I I expect the race to be smoother. um, And, uh, but I'm kind of thinking, I don't know much about Sri Lanka, but I know it's similar to India um, in terms of culture, as far as I can tell. So, you know, I told Abby, like, I, I think it's going to have some of those same rich cultural um, experiences in it. So I think it's going to be a spectacular race. And, you know, if I could do it, I, I absolutely would. So, yeah, it, it you know, well, okay, we'll talk a little more. Do you, do you sometimes get races that you look at and see and you're just like, no, not interested? And then some that are like, yeah, that's one. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. For yeah. sure. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah, and I think especially with expedition races, you know, like I um, I, I just – expedition races, I'm looking generally for something bigger, mm-hmm. right, and yeah. something more unique. And, you know, I think that there's expeditions out there around the world that – I think when you step back and you kind of look at it and you both look at the the race and the location, but also kind of the, what the resources are. And I don't mean that as a, a, a criticism. I just think like, you know, different race organizations have different level of resources and abilities. And, uh, you know, there's some expeditions that I think are 
kind of more like glorified 24 to 30 hour races, you know, where they basically are just kind of putting a couple of them together and, you know, really the, the bells and whistles and logistics of it are, are, are no different than that kind of level of regional racing here in the United States. And that, that's not that appealing to me. Uh, and, and too many of them, I, I think, kind of are charging the same kind of top dollar that you would pay at an ARWS event um, where you're getting, I think, a fair bit more in terms of the experience and the course and the RD experience and things like that. Um, I mean, like India was a $750 per person entry fee for the race, all transportation, all lodging, a bunch of the food, um, taxis basically at your whim before and after the race. And granted, it was India, so costs are a fair bit lower. But, um, but I mean, that's a, a cheaper deal than some 48-hour races I've seen here in the United States. So yeah. That's uh, called value added. Absolutely. Um, so, so yeah, like I, I definitely, traditionally I've been looking, I think more for kind of the wilder experiences. So, mm-hmm. you know, Expedition Alaska, absolutely called, but, um, you know, this is obviously the other end of the spectrum in terms of the cultural experience. So th- those would be my preference every single time out, one of those two. Do you think, you know, for a few years there, everything was just like 600 miles and take 10 days we've kind of the pendulum's kind of swung back a little bit now and we're getting to a little bit better place yeah i mean personally i would love to see maybe a little bit more diversity with that in that like i think you're right like i one of the things i loved about alaska was it really was like a kind of a, a bit more old school in that, like, you were out there for the whole time like i mean he had a unique race format which um was kind of cool, also had some problems, but, like, I mean, whether you were AMK or the last place team, you you were out for seven days. Yeah. Um, and I know that not all teams want that, but, uh, you know, there's not a lot of races out there where that's even possible, right? Like, there's, there's obviously Patagonia, but, you know, like, XPD has kind of gone away from that model, right? The last couple of years they've been running five-day races instead of ten, mm-hmm. Um, I mean, Godzone obviously did a big one last year with Fjordland, but that's not their normal. Um, it seems like that five to six day race is, has become like the maximum. Yeah. Um, and you know, I, I would, I, I haven't personally, like I haven't had the opportunity to do, uh, kind of an old school 10 day expedition race, finish it in seven, eight days, nine days, whatever it takes. But, um, so I wish, I wish we had a little bit more of that again. And, I mean, maybe eco is the answer to that, right? Like, yeah, we're going to find out. <laughs> yeah, like I, I mean, to me, the the most interesting question, other than who the hell is on the team list, is uh, <laughs> is this going to be a one off? Which I think a lot of people feel like it is. I'm not entirely sure why everyone's so convinced that way, but like, um, it certainly could be. Or is it going to be the sort of an annual or every other year thing where you'll have a ten day race out there to do? Yeah, there's a, you know what? There's a lot of questions to that, but we pro- we probably shouldn't go down that road right now. No, another hour <laughs> chatting yeah. and yeah, yeah, yeah. What, what I'll do is some week when I like, yeah, I don't have anybody to talk to. We'll we'll just talk eco challenge. Yeah, yeah, that's gonna be it's gonna be a lot of fun to really be able to start digging into it when we get to see who's racing and everything. Yeah. So, all right, cool. Well, I'm gonna let you. Uh, 
put your headlamp on and skulk around the house. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna, I'm I'll gonna do put that. My headlight. Well, it's still light here, so. Well, put it on anyway. Why uh, well, not? I will because it will be by the time I get done, and I want to go out and throw out like 20 pounds of reclamation mix. Yeah, you could just you know like put on your headlamp, put it on strobe function, and as Zoe says, just go like shake your booty and garden. It'd be awesome. Sweet. I guess yeah. I will just yeah. because. Yeah, why not? <laughs> All right. Well, it's been a stone cold gas. All right, Randy. Thanks. Thanks yeah, for the always chat. Always good talking to you. Oh, thanks and a lot. I want to say um, yeah. thanks for sending me a message saying you're ready. Oh, yeah. You'd be surprised how many people don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I'm always ready to get started a couple minutes early. There so. you go. Cool. Thanks. Yeah. All right, Randy, have a good one. Uh, Survive the snow. I will. All right, bye. Bye.